kind of want to pick up where we left off last week. So I'm going to very, very, very quick recap, kind of square us away, get us ready for this morning. Last week, we kind of entered on John chapter 1, verse 17. For the law was given through Moses and grace and truth through Jesus Christ. And many of you have originally heard that, whether it was written this way, a lot of people heard it this way. Um, for the law was given through Moses, but as in opposite or contradiction to um, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, as in they were two radically different things, but that's really not, not the case at all. Um, a proper reading with, of this would be, uh, for the law was given through Moses and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And the fact of the matter is we know this too. Grace and truth is very, very evident in the law, um, but in Jesus Christ, it's like full-blown, right? It, it, it arrives in all, in all, in all of its, its majesty. Um, interesting enough, this, this, this idea of law and grace being opposites, it had been discussed um, with the founding fathers or with the, with the early church fathers, um, but it really wasn't until the Reformation and this idea of sola fide, uh, by faith alone, Right, that we will we will be saved, and it became um, it, I, it was never intended to be, but it became very opposite um, law and, and, and grace. Um, so, recap again. Last week we have the law, which turns out is a really, really, really good thing. Right, the law because it teaches us the, how to live life to the fullest, and it shows us the areas in that life that will lead to death, the death of of that life. Um, the law is our guide to life, right? We follow the law, and, and goodness, goodness comes. Um, it also helps us to see how we're doing and where we need maybe to take a closer look at our lives, maybe areas that we need improvement. However, however, to live under the law is something radically different. When we live under the law, the good law becomes the damaging law of sin and death, right? The law didn't change. It's just that your relationship to the law changed, and being under the law simply means that you've chosen to be judged by your own merits. <laughs> Good luck with that. Um, instead of the merits of Jesus Christ. Now, if you try to do it according to your own merits, you understand according to the law, if you break one law, you've broken all of them. And the penalty for breaking even one of them is death. So once again, if you're going to do this under your own merits, under your own efforts, good luck. Um, but I can almost guarantee, I can guarantee you, you, you will fail. You will, you will fail. But when you make the choice to be judged according to the merits of Jesus, you move out from beneath the law, right? You're no longer slaves to the law. It can no longer hurt you, right? The law still exists, but it guides you, right? It no longer judges you and enslaves you to failure. In other words, the law in Jesus' hands now says you should right? You should follow the law or you're going to miss out on the abundant life that I have for you now and later. Life everlasting. You should or you're, else, you're, you're just going to end up hurting yourself and you're going to hurt the people you love unless you follow my law. So we concluded the law is really a loving guide to life, right? A way to avoid death, not a merciless, vengeful, prosecuting judge, right? Jesus has stripped the law of its power to hurt us. And how did he do that? Well, he took the hurt on himself, right? The punishment for sin was death, and, and he took that punishment on the cross for our sake. He bore our sins on the cross. 
Now, again, we, we talked about this last week, and here I'm going to kind of pick up something new here. Um, it doesn't mean that we're always going to feel like doing what is right, right? But it generally means that we want righteousness, which means a right relationship with God. Jesus didn't want the cross, but he wanted what it would give him, which was our salvation, which is a restoration of, of righteousness, of a right relationship with God from whom we receive life. And in the same way, we might not always want to obey, but we want the results. We want righteousness, right? We want a right relationship with God. We want to be in a right relationship with God. So the other day I asked Diane, Diane had asked me, she was fixing lunch, and she said, you want to eat out on the back patio? And I, I said, oh, do I have to? We're, I'm just playing around, okay, I'm just playing around. And, and in response, in a, in a playful fashion, she made this statement, and, and it really sums up our relationship to the law. I think it sums up with the, the way Jesus wants us to view, view the law. And, and you've probably heard this. You've heard this many times. But she said this. She says, I don't want you <laughs> to do it because you feel you have to. <laughs> don't raise your hand if you've heard this before. I want you to do it because you want to, right? I don't want you to do it because you feel you have to. I want you to do it because you want to. I don't know, I, I don't know if wives hear that all the time, but I know husbands hear it because I've heard from husbands, and I know I've heard it many, many times, and I, 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 I get it, right? I, I, I get it. Um, will you go to the opera with me? Oh, I, I guess I'll go. And inevitably, the response will be, well, I don't want you to have to go. I want you to want to go. I want you to enjoy your, yourself, right? So again, again, the law and grace, and that just sums it up for me. The law and grace, it's not either or, it's both and. Having perfectly fulfilled the law of Moses, Jesus can now be the lamb without blemish, right? As the second Adam, Jesus takes us back to God, right? Back underneath the sword, the swinging sword. Um, and now through a much tamer, friendlier law, I guess we can say it that way. Now, again, something new now we're launching here. Many of you might have noticed uh, we've been talking about being freed from beneath the law. Um, but, Pastor Jerry, you haven't stopped talking about the law and to obey and obedience. You know, at the end of the day, it just sounds like we're not really freed to do as we please, right? It sounds more like, Pastor Jerry, we're just freed to choose a different master to rule over us, right? Somebody else to obey, now, his name is Jesus, right? You've heard of him. And he sounds awfully loving, and he really, really is. Um, but here's how my options were presented under this new master. And, and I'm sorry, it sounds very similar to the old master. It's presented like this, disobey and die, obey and live. Those are my options. Those, I felt like those were my options under the law, and, and now I'm told that these are really my options under Jesus also. So what's the difference Here's the problem. These two choices, as they're presented, are behavior-based. They're works-based. Right? The way they're written, you're still under, under the law. And as true as they might be, and I believe they are true, they carry a whole bunch of connotations, right? Unintended, unwarranted ideas attached to it. For example, the first one, obey, disobey and die. We kind of read into that disobey and you're automatically bad and you deserve punishment so you will die, 
right? We kind of add in all those words and, and obey and you're automatically good and you're going to get all these rewards and even after you die, the rewards will continue in, in heaven. The fault of this terribly damaging Christian assumption, um, hit that next slide there, is to simply, you, you got it on the right slide, to simply obey and do the right thing is more important than why I do it. This incredibly dangerous Christian assumption says it doesn't matter if you forgive out of fear of being punished or out of fear of being abandoned or looking bad to others. Just do it because God will figure it out, right? He tells you to do it, so just do it. It doesn't matter if bitterness drives you to piety or your piety makes you bitter. It, it, it just doesn't matter. Just do it anyways. Don't ask why. You don't need to know why. God knows why. It's your actions that count, right? So that's what this false assumption says. It's your actions that count. This false assumption says that the root of your problem, the root of issues or hang-ups or whatever you got going on, that you're, you're seeking help from God, um, the root of your problem is you're simply disobedient. That, that, that's all there is to it. If you would simply obey, everything would come up roses. You would have no more problems in your life. All pain and suffering would go away. Just obey. Now, we looked at that last couple of weeks, and, and we, we find out that that's simply not true. This, this false assumption can kind of be summed up with this idea that obedience is the key to the Christian life, and, and that is false, right? You see it on your screen in front of you, but it's a false statement. I just want to make sure you understand that. Obedience is not the key to Christian living. We're going we're to dig into that and find out why. So let's talk about obedience and why we obey. And how do we remove the words obey from beneath the law and rescue this word obedience right, from the law of sin and death? How, how, do, we, how do we redeem it? Um, so I'm going to start with a very, very well-known passage on obedience. This is probably one that many of you have heard, but I want to give you the context of it because the context really adds to it. It makes it very, very powerful. It's in chapter 15 of 1 Samuel. Uh, the prophet Samuel has chosen a king for the people. God didn't want them to have a king. He wanted to be their king, but the people wanted a king so he said, Saul, or Samuel, go ahead and choose a king for the people. And King Saul is now the king, and he's been told to destroy their in a war with the Amalekites, the ancient Israeli, Israelite enemy. Um, from the very beginning, the Amalekites have been a problem. Um, and through Samuel, God had told King Saul to destroy everything, everything, destroy everything. But he saved, some of the burnt, he saved some of the cattle and the sheep for a burnt offering, right? Because that's the right thing to do. He's, he's learning, right? He's still not real good at it, but he's learning. You got it with God, you got to do the right thing. He's got a false idea, right? He's bought into this false assumption that just do the right thing and God will be cool with it. So he does. He, he's told to destroy everything, but he holds back some sheep and some cattle, and he sacrifices them in a, in a religious service, Right? King Saul has convinced himself that by doing the right thing, he's also obeying God. So what's the problem, he asks, when Samuel comes to him and says, what have you done, right? You were told to destroy everything. Why do I hear cattle lowing? Why do I hear sheep, right? What's going on here? And, and King Saul's like, hey, you know, I was just doing the right thing. I was just doing I knew God wanted this, right? You know, worship, you got to go to church, you know, 
But Samuel replies, this is in verse 22. It says, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? In other words, it's all good and wonderful, King Saul, but how about doing what God asked? <laughs> Try that one. Every parent has heard this, right? Your kids come in, and they've been picking flowers for you, and, and oh, look at all the pretty flowers I picked for you, and you say, yeah, that's, that's really wonderful, honey, but I asked you to clean your room. <laughs> and the kid's like, ah, no, clean the room, clean the shmoo, man. You, you want, what you really want, mom, is you want flowers, right? Because that's what I want to do. I don't want to clean my room. So I'm going to, I'm not going to obey you, but I'm going to do something I think you'll want. Continue reading here. To obey is better than sacrifice. This is, this is, this is the one that most people have heard. To obey is better than sacrifice, and then a repeat with different words, a parallelism. Um, to heed is better than the fat of rams. Again, King Saul is just doing the right thing, right? Crossing all the T's, dotting the I's, obedience for obedience's sake. And I just want to tell you right now, God does not like obedience for obedience's sake. He wants nothing to do with it, but we'll come back to that. He's only doing it because he wanted to do the right thing to avoid trouble. So, so he just, he, he does it. In other words, he, he, he participates in a, a rather mechanical worship service without any kind of loyalty to God, without any relational connection whatsoever, just kind of going through the motions, I guess you would say. See, in Saul's mind, in the minds of many who believe that obeying is more important than why we obey, um, God just looks to your actions, right? That, that's all that matters, but that's not what Scripture says. <laughs> that's not what Scripture says at all. Look at this. This is in chapter 16. It's a chapter later, and, and, and God has rejected Saul at this point um, because he empty obedience, right? He, he just he didn't get it. And so Samuel has been instructed to find another king now. And so he's looking at Jesse's boys, right? You, you've heard of Jesse. He's got a youngest son by the name of David, Right? And so Samuel's looking at all of David's older brothers and they're all big, tall, strapping young men and he's about to choose one of them and God stops him, right? Stops him cold. Basically, he's like, Samuel, you, you, you went to outward appearances with Saul and, and how'd that work out, right? Horrible. Don't do it again. In fact, this is what he says. Do not consider his appearance or his height for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So again, God definitely looks to our hearts and our attentions, but that certainly doesn't, and it can't negate all of the scriptures that points to the incredible importance that God places on just simple childlike obedience and faith, right? That's what he calls us to do, just child, not childish, but childlike, totally trusting, but not necessarily blind trust, a little bit of a difference there. And besides, it's true. I mean, we all know this, right? Scripture's very clear on all these things. We're to be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. That's what James says in his letter at the end of the New Testament. Jesus' brother James. Behavior should reflect our spiritual lives. We all know this. God places an incredibly high value on personal responsibility and follow-through. So we need to take a closer look at this idea. What does it mean to obey in the Old Testament and the New Testament periods? What is, because that word is not quite, we, again, we have, we have in our modern culture, we've added some connotations to this word, and it's become a rather divisive word in our culture, right? To obey somebody means that 
like they have power over you and, and you don't have any more choices and it's not a healthy situation and, and simply to obey is just kind of an ugly word, right, um, in our culture. And, and, I, and I really believe as we dig into this word obey, we're going to find out that it has an incredible power of unity, right? It's not at all the way, the, the place that we go to when we hear that word obey or to obedience, in fact, I'm going I'm to read this. This is in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. This is called the Shema. This is the daily prayer of the Jewish people. And I want to see if you can spot the word obey in this passage, because it's there. It's in English now. Um, listen to this. This is the Jewish prayer known as the Shema. Um, um, Pastor Dan read it at the beginning of our service. Listen to this. Deuteronomy 6, chapters, verses 4 and 5 says, Hear, O Israel... The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Don't move anything yet. Don't change it. Just kind of look at the screen in front of you folks. Which one of those words do you think is Shema? Right? Which one of those words is obey? All right, hit the next slide. They've had enough time to think. It's here. This, this passage is literally saying, obey, O Israel. Right? And it's not really just obey, though. Let's kind of dig into this. Again, this prayer is called the Shema. It's because it's the first word of the prayer. To hear in Hebrew means Shema, right? To hear. Now, there's, there's, a, a, there, there's several meanings, and we've got to take all of the meanings of Shema to really understand the way the Bible in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament is using this, this word um, Shema. At its most basic level, Shema basically means to listen closely to, right? And it really has this idea of sound waves hitting your ear, right? You can hear sound, right? In Greek, the word is akuo, where you get the word acoustic guitar, you know, sound waves, akuo. Um, but shema, as in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 12, it says this, ears that shema, or ears that hear, right? Ears that shema and eyes that see, the Lord has made them both, right? So, so it, 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 at one level, it's, it's sound waves coming into your ear, but at, but at another level, it means to pay attention to, to, to kind of hyper-focus on something or somebody, right? So in Leah, whose husband Jacob didn't love her, she gives birth to a second son in Genesis uh, chapter 27, 28, somewhere right in there. Um, so she names him Shimon because, and this is in Genesis chapter 29, uh, verse 33, it says, because the Lord Shema, because the Lord heard me, that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Shimon, which is a Hebrew form of the word he heard. He heard me. He paid attention to me. He heard my sorrow, and he responded to me. And finally, the most important part of Shema, it means to answer or respond to, to attend to a request. Not just to pay attention to it, but to attend to it, to address it, to do something about that heartfelt request, right? This is why so many people in the Psalms, they cry out for God, right? And the first word is always Shema, Right, the people are calling on God not just to hear them, but to do something. Example, Psalms 27, verse 7 says, Shema my voice when I call. Lord, be merciful to me and answer me. So that answer me is part of it. It's not only listen, but answer me. Address my call. Address my needs. Fix things, God. And in the same way, God asked the people to Shema him, like on Mount Sinai. They're gathered to hear the law. And through Moses, God says, now if you shema, 
If you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possessions. And again, notice that Shema is connected to the covenant, right? It's about keeping the covenant. It's about doing the covenant. See, in English, it's just one word, one thought, to listen. But in Hebrew, to listen and to do are the, the exact same thing. So in the Old Testament, if you hear somebody say, I hear you, what they're literally saying and what you can assume is that what they're saying is, I hear you and I'm going to respond. Not just I can hear your voice, but I'm going to respond. When I say I hear you, literally I'm saying I hear you and I'm going to respond. In the New Testament, you see this idea because in Greek, times have changed just a little bit. And in Greek, you hear things like they have ears, but they don't hear. They don't shema. Like they can hear, but they don't respond Therefore, they must not really be listening. Here's the point. Shema is basically paying attention to the needs of others and responding to those needs. It describes a relationship ruled by love, not by fear or guilt or law or obligation or anything else. Right? We hear what somebody wants or needs, and we respond out of love. We shema each other out of love. Now, here's the crazy thing. Again, Shema, the base, word, base of it is to obey. Did you know that God Shema's us? He hears us and responds. Again, we have this English word obey, but it just, uh, just doesn't do justice to what the Hebrew is trying to say. God hears us and he responds. That's, that's crazy. Did you know also that we Shema community, we are called to obey our communities. And again, that, that sounds awfully strange with our English understanding of the word, but if we, if we look at it in the Hebrew understanding of it, we, we hear our community, we hear the cries of love, of need for love, and we respond with love. We hear and we respond. We're obeying our community. Just how God, same way God obeys us. Doesn't that sound crazy? But it's true. He hears and he responds to us. In essence, then, Shema is a structure that trains us in relational maturity. Now think about that for just a moment. Now, with God, being that he's God and we're not, we Shema differently, just a little bit differently. But the end product is the same, a mature relationship ruled by love. So with God, we don't simply obey because we should or we have to or we're going to get in trouble. Right? The Bible goes much deeper than that. It goes to the heart of who we really are. See, in the same way that Diane and I, we shema each other because we want to be the best husband and the best wife that we can be for each other, so we shema, we, we, we hear, we listen to each other, and we respond in kind. In the same way, we shema God in order to become the best person that we can be, that he created us to be, that sin robbed us of. See, with God, we're very similar to a parent-child relationship, right? Shema, oh child of mine. Listen and respond well to my words of wisdom. Don't eat the cookies. You won't be able to play soccer. Listen, my child. I'm not, I'm not just being a control freak, right? I gave you that directive, that command, that decree, that precept. Don't eat the cookies because I knew it would hurt you. It's not because I wanted to rob you of fun. Good parents, right? They teach their kids to express themselves appropriately so that when they grow up, they can express themselves appropriately with their spouses and, and with the work friends and their bosses and employees. 
and all that, right? We teach them to take out the garbage so they can hold down a job later on. We teach them appropriate relational boundaries so they can be safe in an incredibly evil world, right? There's a purpose behind obedience. We want our kids to be safe, and we want them to experience all the love that they, that they have a right to experience. And so we give directives to them that will lead them down that path of life and not down a path of destruction, Again, Shema or obedience, it always has a purpose. Whether it's ensuring, smoothing out marital relations, whether it's training children to adulthood, or whether it's leading a loved one to life, which is what God is doing with his law. He's leading us to life. In fact, here's God's reasoning (laughs) straight up behind the Shema. The reason we Shema The reason we listen and respond, this is in Deuteronomy chapter 1. Remember that the Shema that I just read started in verse 4, right? We're going to jump back to verse 1. It says, these are the commands, the decrees, the laws that the Lord your God directed me to teach you. This is Moses in Deuteronomy duet, duo, two. Uh, Just a little background information here. Um, Deuteronomy is two speeches by Moses. That's why it's called Deuteronomy. This is one of the speeches here. And he's he's telling the people, Um, The Lord your God directed me to teach you his commands, his decrees, and his law, right? To observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Continue in verse 2. So that, now here's the purpose behind the the obedience. Not just that that I'll be boss and you'll recognize me as boss and you'll know that I'm God and you're not. And and that has nothing to do with it. It has nothing to do with it all. So that your children and your children after them may fear the Lord your God. Now that, not be afraid of them, but properly understand how much power he has, how much he loves us with that power, and how much he gives us life, and and, and all that, right? The fears, not to be afraid of, but to to be radically aware of his awesomeness. That's that's the best way I can go with that. Um, To fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you so that you may enjoy long life. That's the purpose of the obedience. It's not just that he wants to prove he's bigger than you, that he can beat you up. That's not his purpose, right? He wants to give us life and every one of his decrees and his commands and his laws lead us to life or they lead us away from death. There's no control freaking. It's just not a part of the equation whatsoever. In verse 3, hear, O Israel. Now, here's the kicker. This is, this is the first time, and then you're going to hear it again in verse 4. Shema is said twice in this whole passage, which means that God, like this whole passage is so important. Verses 1 through, we're going to go through about 9 right now. This is just critical, right? Hear, Israel. Shema, Israel. Listen and respond well, Israel. And be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly. That's the reason why I want you to obey me, because it will go well with you. In the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. And then the part we've looked at numerous times, Shema, O Israel. Listen and respond well, Israel. The Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And again, you're you're recognizing that hearing is connected to obeying. Hearing and obeying, one idea in ancient Hebrew. Hear, O Israel, love, hear, listen, obey, listen, obey. And it's just like this circular relational conversation. I think that's the best way to put it. And then to be absolutely certain that they understood just how tightly life was to listening 
and responding well. Just how important that was to life and for avoiding death. These commands that I give you today, they're to be on your hearts and press them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. They would actually have these little things bound to their foreheads. This is literally the passage where they got that. They would have these little scrolls of piece of paper with this passage written on it, and they would tie it to their, their forehead. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Many people have been taught that God is a control freak, right? And to worship means blindly and unthinkingly obey, just robotically, just be a perfect obeying machine. God's not interested in that, not in the least. That's not how he wants to be obeyed. That kind of avoid, that kind of obedience is... is completely void of relationships, completely void of love. It's just an order and somebody follows it for no relational connection whatsoever. It can never lead to life. We shema God because he loves us. He shema's us. And we respond in kind. Earlier I mentioned that Diane captured rather well the whole biblical godly response to the law, Right? I don't want you to do it because you feel you have to do it. I want you to do it because you want to. In other words, I don't want you, this is what she's saying to me, I don't want you to shema, to listen and respond, because you feel you have to. I want you to shema, I want you to listen and respond to me because you love me, Jerry. So it's not about obedience. It's about listening to love and responding in love, to love, right? So I, I, I respond. I, I went out and had lunch with her on the deck. Not because if I didn't that she would be mad at me or that she would be hurt. Let me make that very, very clear. I did it because it benefits. It benefits the quality of my love relationship with my wife, both now in that moment and in the future. I knew I could go back into my office and study some more, or I could have a nice 30-minute time with my wife out on the back patio having lunch. It, 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 who wouldn't want that kind of a break? Come on. And then not only now, not only in that moment, but in the future, right? When I shema, I am tending my relationship, my love relationship with my wife. I'm trying to listen, and I'm trying to respond well. If I don't respond well, It'll degrade the quality of my love relationship, and eventually over time, it will lead to the death of my love relationship. Sounds weird, but if I don't obey my wife, and if my wife doesn't obey me, I'll give you a little bit of homework here. Go home and read Ephesians chapter 5, start in verse 21 and go through 33. And just insert this idea into the relationship that a husband and a wife should have. I think what you're going to find is that a husband and a wife are both called to submit and obey one another, to hear one another, and to respond in love to one another. That's what the Christian life is all about. It's not obedience. It's love. It's a love that leads to listening, hearing, and then responding. And once again, the easiest way to hear and respond well to God's commands and his decrees and his laws, fall in love with Jesus. 
I know it sounds simple, but it's true. Fall in love with Jesus. Can I just tell you, I mean, it is incredibly easy. It wasn't easy at the beginning of our marriage, I'll just say that. But it got easier over time to hear and respond well to Diane because I'm madly in love with her. It just got easy. And over time, it just got easier and easier because we, we responded and we listened to each other and we responded well to each other. And, and the circle of love, it just kind of grows. It doesn't go downward. It, grows, it goes upwards. It's kind of like Shema is our relational barometer, right? We talked about that a couple weeks ago, right? The, the barometer doesn't change the weather, but it indicates a change in the weather. And whether we're listening and responding well to each other, that's kind of our relational barometer, right? If she feels that I'm not responding well, our relationship is probably needs addressing, put it that way. How well we listen and respond to one another is the key indicator of our love. So if you need to keep falling in love with Jesus, I want you to shema this. This is in Matthew chapter 11. I'm going to close with this. Come to me. This is Christ speaking. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Rest from trying and failing again and again and again to be all that we know that we can be. Never feeling that God is smiling on you. Always trying to work your way back into his good graces. I'll do amazing things, God. I'll, I'll, I'll make up for that mess up last night. I'll, I, and Jesus is saying, just be still. Be still. I want to give you rest for your souls. He continues in verses 29 and 30. Take my yoke. A yoke... And a burden, you're going to see both these words in this passage, that was basically a, they had a lot of different rabbis running around, a lot of different teachers, and they all had, kind of had their own rules. And each rabbi's set of rules and rewards and punishments for following those rules, it was called his yoke, right, or his burden. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy. The law of love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. My yoke doesn't have 613 rules. My yoke doesn't say that if you fail, you're bad. My yoke doesn't say if you fail, you deserve death. My yoke doesn't say any of that. My burden is light. I'll carry the punishment for your sins. I'll carry that weight. And the burden that I'm going to place on you is, is light. It won't weigh you down. It won't feel like death. It will literally feel like life. Take my yoke upon you, and you will learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Your challenge this week is, who do you need to obey this week? And I want to keep that word in front of us, obey. But I want to make you understand it's to hear and respond well. Maybe it's God that you need to think about. Have you been obeying? Have you been listening? Have you been responding? You just been listening and not responding? I go to church every 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 Sunday, God, right? I I, I hear everything. I'm, but are you responding? And if you're not, that might be a barometer. 
You might need to just, again, I, I gave you the suggestion last week, start, start in the Gospels and just fall in love with Jesus again. Don't, don't read about all the rules. Don't, don't go through all that. Just focus on what Jesus brings to the table, right? What he took away and what he brings. You won't be able to help but fall in love with him. His yoke and his burden, we can handle that, right? It's the one that we were meant to carry. Again, who do we need to res respond well to this week? Maybe it's God, maybe it's family, maybe it's church friends. Maybe it's our community. Again, maybe we need to hear our community. I want to put this up, um, this is this last slide. I want to close in prayer. Um, but as I'm praying, as Dan's coming up here, as we close our service, um, I, I want this conversation to continue each week. I'm going to try to put this slide up each week at the end of the message, um, just so that when I walk, walk away and hop in my car and, and you're with your family, continue the conversation, right? Have fun with it. Bow your heads. Father, thank you so much for your word. Father, thank you for Jesus who showed us exactly what you're like. In the Old Testament, we got a partial picture, but in Christ, we got the full-blown picture of just how much you love us, Father. Help us to listen to you, Father, and help us to respond well. And if we're having trouble, Father, help us to love you. Show us how amazing you are. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray.